0: Hey, everybody. It's Rich. Welcome or welcome back to the Access Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Y'all having y'all having a good time so far? That was an awesome story, wasn't it? That was awesome. Way to go. Um, my name is Jamie, Jamie Dickens. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, but I was born right here in Jacksonville, Florida. And so this is my hometown. And gosh, you got my in laws here with visiting with me today with whom I stayed. There they are. Hey guys. Um, I got a question for you as we start this morning. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you realized or you felt in your soul, I've arrived? Anybody ever have a moment like that where you just knew, like, oh, this is it? I've arrived in life. Like, here's a couple of examples from my life that I can remember. I remember the first time I got my license and drove by myself in my car. I was like, I've arrived, baby. This is something I've been dreaming about for a long time. You know, some of you remember that feeling. Uh, I remember going to college at the University of North Carolina. Go Heels! Uh, Eeked out a win yesterday. Uh, And I remember freshman year, I'm there. Parents are gone. I go to like a hang or a party somewhere And nobody tells me to go home or go to bed or that I need to study or what I need to do. And I was like, I've arrived, you know, freedom. You remember that feeling, some of you. Uh, I remember when I married my wife, Sarah, that's her parents, uh, also born and raised here. And I think she's watching somewhere. Hi, babe. Um, And, you know, we get married, we buy a little house and, you know, get a dog. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I've arrived. I'm like an adult. I'm adulting. Look at this. It's happening. You know, mom and dad were so proud. Uh, I made it. I felt like, oh my gosh, I've arrived. Here I am. Look at me, you know, I got this amazing wife and then this little house and all this stuff. Uh, but or, or, or I got a re- another recent one. The most recent one that I could remember, and I was talking to my wife about this. She kind of remembers this moment too. We were sitting on our back porch. So we have four little kids. At one point we had four kids, four and under. So we had them all, you know, Quick, quick, together. We got busy, Um, and uh, but you can imagine life if any of you've ever had or been a grandparent to or been a foster, whatever, any form of parent to a child. You know that having little kids is a lot, right? It's noisy, it's busy, it's you never you never get a moment on your own. Well, we had four of those running around, and um, but there was this moment, and it was like right around when my youngest son was on the verge of independence. So he was like, it was a couple years ago at this point. I, I don't remember exactly when it was. He was like three, maybe two, something, getting to the point where like he could play on his own and we didn't have to constantly watch them. And we were sitting out on our back porch. The kids go inside, they turn on the TV and they start watching. We're sitting there and I'm like, tell my son, my oldest, he's like eight or whatever at this point, seven. And I'm like, hey buddy, would you grab daddy a Coke Zero? It's my favorite little thing to drink on the back porch. So he goes, brings me a Coke Zero. He actually puts ice in the cup. And we don't even realize it for 15 minutes. We don't even realize what has happened, but 15 minutes passed. So you guys ever had a moment like this and you're like, oh my gosh, we have been alone for 15 minutes and I haven't had to do anything. I haven't had to go inside. I haven't had to feed anybody. I haven't had to watch. I haven't been afraid. There hasn't been a scream. And we were like, oh my gosh, babe, we've arrived. The moment we've been dreaming of for like seven years now, it's finally here. We can sit and have some peace and quiet. I mean, it lasted another five minutes, but it felt like we'd arrived, you know, like this big landmark in our lives. You have your own versions of those moments. I mean, you have some moments that are like, I've arrived in life. And for some, sometimes it's just, I've arrived in this season of life. Like, oh, in this season of life, we've been thinking about getting here for years and here we are. You've had moments like that. I've had moments like that. And um, we all have this idea of what it means to arrive. Again, whether it's a season of life or over your, your whole life, we have an idea of what success looks like, of what it means to like have made it, to have gotten there. Um, we have a metric, we have, a, we have some combination probably of work, of family, of play, some combo of, of success, wealth, and opportunity that when you mush all that together, it's the benchmark, you know? It's the measuring stick for your life, for now, for, uh, for all time, and we spend, most of us spend most of our time and our talent and our treasure and our energy and our resources and our power and our ability to get there, to arrive, that's what we're talking about today. We're in the middle actually concluding a series called A Better Way, The Counterintuitive Life of Jesus. And it's really centered around this fact that the, the first Christians actually weren't called Christians. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this for the longest time. But they weren't called Christians from the beginning. Like when people started following Jesus, they were not called Christians initially. In fact, actually, they were first called this mysterious title. They were called Followers of of the way. You know, it sounds like a Mandalorian episode, you know, of Star Wars. They were called followers of the way. And that's because they believed that this rabbi from Nazareth was in fact the son of God, the savior of the world, the Messiah who had come to earth to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead to start something brand new. And and what he had started wasn't just a brand new belief system. It was a brand new way of living. That's what they believed. It was a way of living and a way of being and a way of treating people and a way of ordering your life and prioritizing your life that was from heaven, that was itself the kingdom of heaven come to earth. It was a better way. And they were followers of this way and they followed it not just because they thought, oh, it would make me more Christian. Initially, that term didn't even exist. They followed the way because they thought it was better. They thought it was better. They thought it was better for their lives. That their lives would be better, their marriages would be better, their children would be better, their careers would be better, their hearts would be better and more healthy. Their minds and their souls would be better. I mean, they just believed if they would follow the way of Jesus, that it would go better for them, for their lives, their past, present, future, and for their souls. And and after all, that's what Jesus had taught. This wasn't something they made up. Uh, At the end of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, his manifesto on the way, the way that he was coming to invite us all to follow, uh, that he preached probably everywhere that he went. Most scholars believe that the Sermon on the Mount was not a one-off. It was an, it was an every-off. Everywhere he went, he preached the sermon. Uh, at the end of this sermon, he preaches the famous parable of the broad road and the narrow road. And this is what Jesus taught everywhere that he went. He said, hey, there, there's a broad road. The broad road, Do you go to it. Uh, broad is the road that leads to destruction. It's like, hey, there's like an eight-lane highway, okay? It's well-lit, it's well-advertised, and it is well-traveled. I mean, rush hour is packed on this road. And, and a lot of people are on it, and it looks amazing, and it's well-lit and well-advertised. But the thing is, it leads not where you want to go. It leads so Somewhere that you don't want to go, it leads towards regret and pain and loss and the life that you weren't created for. But Jesus says, actually, on the other hand, what I've been talking about this whole sermon is the other road. It's a different road. It's this. It's the narrow road. This is the narrow is the road that leads to life. There's a narrow road. It's not well lit. It's not well advertised. And not a lot of people are on it. But he says it leads to life. This is the one that leads where you are hoping to go, towards the life that you are hoping to have, the life that you've been dreaming of having in this season of life and in the one you're gonna be dreaming about in the next. And it's the life that I created you for and he is inviting us to follow him in the way, in the way of the narrow road. That's the concept to the context of this series that we're, we're, we're doing. And, and it's not just that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. Um, if you are a Jesus follower, you know those of us who are Jesus followers, it's a little more than that. He's actually commanding us to follow him. He's saying, come follow me. Don't just believe in me, though that's certainly the starting line. Come follow me. I'm commanding you, come follow me. And, he, and here's why. Because what we believe makes all the difference in eternity, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not be lost and not perish, but have eternal life. What we believe makes all the difference in eternity. But here's the reality, and here's where a lot of us, I think, and I needed to tune into this fact, that what we, how we walk makes all the difference in the community. How we walk makes all the difference in our lives. How we walk makes all the difference in our marriages. How we walk makes all the difference at work or at play or with your friends or with your kids or with, you know, whatever you have going on in your life. Of course, yeah, what we believe makes all the difference in eternity, but Jesus is like, no, there's, there's like a whole other massively important thing. How you actually walk makes all the difference in your life and in the lives of those around you, right? So this isn't just something that we believe. It's someone that we follow. And Jesus said, hey, you got to come follow me. On the narrow road. So, week one, a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about the way of love that Jesus is inviting us to follow him on a narrow road of the way that we treat other people. And uh, if you missed that, go back and watch that. And today, uh, as my intro is suggesting Jesus, uh, I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about how we measure our lives. How we know when and if we have arrived at where we are supposed to have arrived. Because it does, turns out Jesus has a lot to say about um, what you are shooting for in life, where you are trying to get in life, like who you're trying to become, where you're trying to get to, the, the, the things that you're trying to accomplish, that combination of whatever it is, work, life, play, assets, success, opportunity, travel, that you have in your mind of like, oh my gosh, babe, we've arrived. You know, Jesus has something to say about that. And, and, and as is so typical with Jesus, there's a way that everybody else is doing it in a way that everybody else approaches it, in a way everybody else is thinking about it. And then there's Jesus' way. And they're not the same. And His way, in just a second when I say it, even though some of you may have heard it before, it's gonna sound, oh, that's so narrow. That's so difficult. Oh, that's, that's so challenging. That's so countercultural. That's even so counterintuitive. But Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, it's better. It's better. Come follow me on it. And I think this way that that he is inviting us to follow him in when it comes to our lives and how we measure them is so vividly and powerfully demonstrated in a conversation that Jesus had with two of his closest friends, two of his closest disciples, the brothers James and John, after whom I'm named. I'm James. My brother is John. Uh, Those two brothers, disciples of Jesus, they have this uh, conversation with Jesus where um, they ask him, a question. You can go ahead to that, that, that verse. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him and they say, teacher, sorry, my mic's popping. Let me see if I can adjust this. They say, teacher, um, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, which is a funny way to ask it. Um, this is totally how, has, have any of your kids ever asked you this question? Like, hey, 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 dad, will you, uh, will you do whatever I say? Will you, do, will you do something for me? Will you do me a favor? What do you always respond with? You can talk in church, I think. It's okay. Uh, what do you always respond? Hey, will you do me a favor? Yeah, yeah, what is it? I mean, this isn't a blank check moment, son. This is not happening. Um, so, but they, they tried to, the oldest trick in the book. You know, they tried to put, no, go back, go back. They, the oldest trick in the book. They're like, hey, will you do whatever we ask? Uh, it also, there's also a little detail that um, Matthew includes. He said, these guys also brought their mom along. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. Hey, mom, will you come, like, ask Jesus something for us? It's like, I guess they were millennials, but I don't know. Um, just kidding, millennials. I'm just kidding. I mean, sort of. Uh, but they, uh, they have this moment, and, and Jesus uh, says, you know, says this. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. He's like, well, you know, tell me first. And they go on, and here's what they, here's what they say. They say, uh, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, I don't know if this is what you would have thought to have asked Jesus, but these boys are Jewish boys. And like any good Jewish boys, they believe that Messiah is going to come one day and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem forever. And they believe that Jesus is that Messiah. It would be like if you were adjacent to someone that you knew was going to be president of the United States one day. And that's what they believe about Jesus. And so what they're doing here is they are in in anticipation of that. They're like, it's gonna happen any day. Uh, In anticipation of that, they are trying to secure a preferred future of power and access and authority and connection and opportunity. And they're, I mean, of course, sure, it's gonna come along with a lot of wealth and a lot of prestige and fame. They're like, hey, Jesus, when you take the throne, someone's sitting to your right and someone's sitting to your left, can it be us? Because, you know, we're your boys, right? Forget Peter. You don't even like Peter. He's annoying. Us. That's what they're doing. And Jesus' response to them is what I want to look at today. This is where he teaches them a lesson that I think he wants to teach you and me that would change the rest of their lives and should change ours. And if you're a Jesus follower, he's expecting it to change yours, if it hasn't already. Uh, when he responds to them, first he directly addresses the ask. He says, hey, you don't know What you're asking, Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? This is a little cryptic way of saying, um, are you sure you know what you're asking of me? You want to share in my glory? Yeah, everybody wants to share in the glory. Are you also ready to share in my suffering? Because he knows that they have no idea that like, yes, Jesus is headed to resurrection and to be in the king of all kings, the name of all names, but there's a little bit of a storyline in between here and there. He's about to go to Jerusalem to be crucified and falsely accused and, and and killed. And he's like, Hey guys, I know you want to share in my glory. Are you like also ready to share in my sufferings? Because those things are a package deal. I don't know that you know what you're asking for. You sure? And they, of course, are naive. They don't know what's about to go down. He's been trying to tell them, but they don't get it. They have this one idea of Messiah, like, we're taking over. It's going to be the king. Yeah, you know. And so they're like, oh, yeah, dude, we can. We can. We totally can. We're we're totally in. And, of course, Jesus understands. They don't don't know what they're asking, and they don't know what they're saying yes to. But there's also this moment where he kind of checks himself or pauses for a moment because, you know, he at the same time, as we believe as Christians, he's God. He's not just man. He's God. And he knows Both of these young men's future, he knows that James will not too many years from now be executed by Herod. He knows that John will be persecuted his entire life, end his life in exile, uh, persecuted for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. So he knows that they're going to suffer for him. And so you can imagine the sadness and the pain and the, the heartache with which he says the following phrase. He says, well, you know. You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. A little tongue twister there. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant those places. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And he adds, by my Father. Uh, this is one of those instances where we see God as a trinity. You know, we believe in Chris Christians that God is Father, God is Son, God is the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a mysterious, amazing thing about God. If you're new to the faith, you should check it out. It's pretty crazy. Just Google Trinity. And you'll find some cool stuff. Um, but what Jesus is saying, Jesus, God the Son, is saying to these guys, hey, what you're asking, is it mine to give? That's decided by God, my Father. So no, I cannot say yes to your request. That's not mine to give. So that's the first thing he does. Just addresses their, he just immediately addresses their ask. He's like, sorry, boys, no, that is not for me to grant. But that's not the part I want to pay attention to. Because right after this, he switches from directly addressing their ask to saying, but but hold on. Yeah, I mean, the answer is no, but I want to address your attitude for a second. Because that's far more important to me. The answer to your ask? Yeah, no, sorry, not for me to grant. That's my Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father. He's the one that's going to decide that. But if I may, I'd like to address your attitude. Because that's a far bigger Problem. Jesus, more than he wants to address their ask, he wants to correct their attitude, their, their, their specific definition of what it means to arrive. Jesus, you know what we want most in life? If we can ask you for anything. Give us your right. Give us your left. Give us your power, your access, your authority. We want to climb with you to the top. And Jesus says, hey, time out. I want to talk about that because that is not my way. That's not my way. Um, so he wants to correct Their attitude, their definition of success, of what it means to arrive in life. And so he's about to have a hard conversation with them, but he ain't the only one. There's 10 other dudes that are about to have a hard conversation with them as well because they've caught wind of this request. Somehow it got out, and they are ticked. They're like, uh, it says, win the 10. Good. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant. Yeah, you think? Uh, with James and John, they're like, bro, did you just ask Jesus to be in charge of us in his kingdom? You little turds. I mean, what do you think? You're so much better. And you got your mom to help you. Dude, if you want to rule with Jesus, at least be man enough to ask yourself. You brought mommy along. And you're like, hey, let us rule. You know, Jesus, please. I mean, they get into, they start bickering and fighting. And now it's on. They're so mad at each other. And these guys are resenting them. And they're like, oh, he jumped in line. They got there first. Everybody's now fighting about it. And Jesus just like, bam, calls a timeout. He's like, look, y'all all all have the same problem. Y'all all all want the same thing. Timeout. I got something to say. So this is what Jesus does. He says, Jesus, Jesus called them together and he said, hey, you know, and he knows that they know. It's like one of those things. He already knows that they know, but he's like, hey, you, you know how, how those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. This is just like everybody else in the world. You know, there were Jews and then everyone else. So this is just like, hey, everybody else in the world. Do you know how those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? And their high officials exercise authority over them? He's like, Jesus is like, hey, you, you, you know how most people in the world tend to use their power, tend to use their authority, tend to use their resources, their, their treasure, their ability, their access. Well, this is how. They tend to lord it over others. They tend to exercise authority over them. The literal word here is to take full privilege over those who are below them. He said, that's just like the natural way of the world. Nobody even has to try. It's not on purpose. No one's like thinking about it. The human heart naturally does this right here. He's like, guys, you know how people usually use their power like this? And you know why they do it? They do it to get what they want. They do it to get where they want, when they want. They do it so that they can arrive wherever it is. They're dreaming of arriving in this stage of life or in the next it's a lot like this. That's why I brought this ladder. you remember probably wondering, like, why is there a ladder? Did they forget to clean up? Or, like, is there a light? You know, something. No, I brought this ladder because this is an illustration of what Jesus is talking about. Like, if, 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 if this is your life, if, if where I'm standing is where you are in life and where I am in life, and up there at the top of the ladder is, is where I hope to arrive one day. Like my definition, whatever combination of things that's up there in my mind in this stage or the next of where I wanna get in life, how I define success, um, how I measure my life and know when I've arrived. Jesus' point is saying like, hey, the natural inclination of every single human heart and the natural way of the world is just to be a ladder climber. That's it. That's what people do with their power, their time, their resources, their ability, and their connections. You don't even have to think about it. It's climb the ladder. It's the natural way of the world is to be a ladder climber to as best you can and as quickly as you can climb, you know, as high as you can. And to use whatever power and resources and and, and access and, and assets and opportunities you have that way. To lord it over, to to take full privilege of it all for yourself. And to use whatever and whoever you need to as one of these. As one of these. As a stepping stone there. And hopefully as adults we learn to manage that, not appear to be greedy, not appear to be mean and cold hearted we put on a good face or we spin it and we restrain ourselves a little bit. Jesus says, that's the way of the world. You don't even have to think to do that. That's what everybody does. He said, that's how the world does. Ladder climbers. But that's the broad road. That's the broad road. And yes, it is well-traveled, it is well-advertised, and it is well-lit, but it does not lead where you want to go, or where you want your family to go, or where you want your kids to go, where you want your career to go. I know you might think that it does, but it does not. It leads to destruction. And how do you know? Come on, we know this. You know this. Have you ever put one of your kids in charge of their other siblings? (laughs) Yeah, that laugh means they have. Um, I tell you what, The moment I put one of my kids, especially like one of my two oldest, in charge of the other siblings, it is shockingly hilarious how quickly they start using their newfound power for selfish gain. Isn't it amazing? I mean, you give it like, I mean, five minutes is generous. It might be five seconds. And all of a sudden they're like... I am in charge. Like, dread me, law, ah! you know. And they start using their power for their own gain, me first, and not you. And my turn, and you're in timeout. And you're like, whoa, you know, that went south really quick. Everyone's crying. This is awful. I mean, you've seen this happen if you've ever put a little kid in charge of their peers or their siblings. And obviously, it's not just um, kids. It's why it's adults too. It's why in our government we have a balance of what. Yeah, power. Why? Why do we need a balance of power? Because this is the natural way of the world. This is the natural inclination of the human heart. So you need a balance of power because when somebody alone has the power, things tend not to go well. That's why when, you call a, when somebody calls a world leader a dictator, we're like, ooh, that's an insult. Ooh, nobody wants a dictator. Oh, that country has got a dictator. Ooh. Why? Because we intuitively understand that that phrase, that absolute power corrupts Absolutely. Is true. It didn't come from our wisdom, it came from Jesus. Because the natural tendency of the human heart is to be a ladder climber and to use whatever. And, and, and we all know from experience this is the thing, this isn't some philosophy, this isn't just some like thought. We all know from experience. You know from experience. I know from experience that anytime this kind of mentality happens in a life, or let's just get specific, in a marriage, in parenting, in the workplace, have you ever worked for somebody like this? Anytime this happens in culture or in a government, it does not go well. It ends ugly. In fact, some of the most horrific things that have ever happened, do you watch documentaries about that have happened in other countries or in World War II or in other horrific things that have happened in the world have, have, have happened because a group of people got power and they decided, let's see how high we can climb. Let's do it just like the Gentiles do and lord it over. Let's take our full, Privilege. Jesus says, Yeah, so that, guys, you know this. That's how the world does it. That's the broad road. And then he looks at them, and this is the whole point of today. I believe he looks at you, looks at me, and he says, Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you. I'm calling you to a different way. I'm calling you to a better way. I'm calling you to a much more narrow way. And he says this, instead, here it is, here's the way. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you. You might've heard this before. This is a famous verse, famous verse alert. You should memorize this one. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Highest, lowest. Whoever wants to become great among you Must be your servant. In case you didn't get it the first time, let me reiterate. And whoever wants to be first, highest, must be. And then he goes, he really goes for it. The slave of all, lowest. Jesus said, I want you to flip this whole thing on its head. That's my way. Flip it upside down. The whole thing. Flip the whole thing upside down. And I know if you're anything like me, already, you're like, I'm already anticipating where you're going. You're already arguing, I bet, because I would be, and I kind of am even right now. You're like, well, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying you don't want me to be great? Are you saying you just want me to like not try? Are you saying you just want me to be mediocre and lame and weak and like blend in? And I mean, good night. Are you seriously, that's what you're suggesting? And the answer is no, that is not what we're suggesting. Don't miss the verbiage here. He's saying, yes, I want you, go be great. I created you to be extraordinary. You're made in the image of God. I've made you with beautiful, amazing, incredible things hardwired into your brain, your heart, and your soul. Yes, I want you to go be great, but I just want you to redefine what it means to be great. I want you to redefine what it means to have arrived in life. Change the measuring stick that you got for the season of life that you're in, because here's the deal. You haven't arrived, according to Jesus, you haven't arrived When you've climbed the ladder, you've arrived when you've become one. That's the difference. You haven't arrived when you've just climbed the ladder. Jesus is like, no, you've arrived in life when you have become one. You don't become great by just climbing the ladder. You become great by becoming the means by which others climb. You don't become great by just simply being the greatest You become great by becoming the servant of all, by deciding that whatever power I have, resources I have, access I have, authority I have, connections I've got, assets that I have, they aren't just mine to leverage, they're mine to lend out. But deciding that my goal in life, just like Jesus decided, that my goal in life, my goal in life is not simply to see how high I can climb, but to see how many people I can help climb in the little time that I have on planet Earth. I'm not trying to just climb the ladder. I want to be a ladder for every single person that I meet because that's what our Savior did. Jesus said that's the narrow road. That's the better way. That's heaven's way. That's the kingdom of heaven come to Earth. If it it would come to Earth, that's what it would look like. It would look like a bunch of people doing exactly that. Jesus said it's the better way. Come follow me in the better way. And by the way, here's how you know it's the better way. You already know this. Again, this is one of those things, that if you think about it, you're like, yeah, I already agree with you. Even if you don't, you're not into Jesus and you're kind of prone to disagree because it's coming from Jesus, you already agree with him. Let me prove it to you. Because um, not only is this right here, this is how lives are going to be measured in the kingdom of heaven, like in eternity, where we're going to live forever. Not only is this how greatness is going to be measured in the kingdom of heaven, like how our lives are going to be ranked and evaluated in the economy, if you will, of God. Not only is that true, this is how greatness is measured in life. Like right here, right now. Isn't it? Look, like I know we get distracted sometimes with social media or like Forbes list or something or another, or like you look up somebody's net worth and you're like, oh, you know, I know that we get distracted by, by, by all of that, but come on the times that we really see what we feel is the metric of greatness in this life is when you are sitting at a funeral. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody who spent their whole life just climbing the ladder? And like they, 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 they climbed, maybe they were radically successful, but they passed away holding on to whatever assets, resources, and wealth, and opportunity, and access that they could get their hands around that they kept mostly for themselves. Have you ever been to one of those funerals? You will see the human heart instantly go, "Oh, we know how to value a life, because you will listen to what people say, and it's painful and it's awkward, because they're not that impressed anymore. We intuitively understand that the measure of a life is the extent to which it is given away. We all intuitively understand that. And it comes out in funerals like that where people are almost awkward and it's like, oh, I know want to make up something to say. Because oftentimes in the wake of a life that was just spent climbing the ladder, in the wake of it oftentimes has left a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of regret, sometimes a lot of injustice and wrong. But then flip it. Man, have you ever been to a funeral, whether they were rich or poor, whether they had a lot of assets or pennies to their name. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody who spent their whole life being a ladder? Anybody ever been to one of those? Yeah. And, and what happens when you have the open mic? What happens? Like you, you run out of time. You have to turn it off. Because people cannot stop talking about, let me tell you about her. Let me tell you about him and what he did in my life. People can't stop talking about it. And they don't talk about the assets. They don't talk about the boat. They don't talk about the bank account. Nobody cares anymore. It's gone. They're dead. They are talking about the impact of this person who became a ladder for others, who was the means by which their children and their spouse and their coworkers and their neighbors and the strangers on the street could climb closer and further towards who God had created them to Be. That's what they talk about. And we all leave, all of us. I've been to both. I mean, I'm a pastor. I do these things. You know, I've been to both of them. We all leave. And what is our thought? Are we all leave secretly or maybe even saying out loud, gosh, I hope somebody talks about me like that one day? Because we all intuitively understand that the measure of a life is the extent to which it's given away. So, yeah, this isn't just how. Greatness is measured in the kingdom of heaven. It's how greatness is measured right now. We just sometimes forget because of media and social media and the scoreboards that get put up in front of us. And we're like, ooh, you know. But just go to a funeral and you'll see what we really care about, what we all intuitively understand. And so Jesus is saying, hey, come follow me on the narrow road. Um. And again, I I know, especially for those of us who may, maybe church is a newer thing to you or you're visiting with somebody or you're not sure what you believe about Jesus. I know this might sound completely pie in the sky, naive, weak. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is the way. Like, I know this might sound crazy. Like, wow, man, that's pretty radical. I liked it better when it was just a verse. Well... It can be just a verse for those that are not followers of Jesus. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is the way. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. That you and I would abandon the right to use what we have for our sole benefit and we would commit ourselves to using whatever we have for the benefit of others. That we we would abandon the right to be a ladder climber just like everybody else and we would commit ourselves, we would bind ourselves to the calling of Jesus to be the ladder by which others can climb. This is the way. And, and, and here's why it's not just an ask. It's a command from Jesus. Here's why he has the authority to make that on your life and my life, if you those of us who are Jesus followers, uh, because it's what he did. And this is how he ends. This is the last thing he says. Just in case the bros around the circle that day were like, mm, we'll let me just get this one. This one is, nah, we're not going to do this one. He goes, all right. Well, just in case you, you need extra clarity here um, for even The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The creator of the universe, to whom belongs all authority and power, who could in one moment bring all the armies of all the nations of the world to nothing, who could gather all the riches of planet Earth at his feet and they would be trinkets to him. He made himself nothing. And he died on a cross for your sins and for mine. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he said, you, Jesus followers, go and do likewise. Follow me. This is my way. It's a better way, but it's a narrow way. So that's my question for us today. Simply this. Um, And it's in the name of, Let's not make this just a verse like, oh yeah, I like that passage. I mean, I like it too. I'm a professional Christian. I like this stuff. This is easy to like, it's really hard to do because it's so counterintuitive and it can be very costly. But this is the way. This is the way. This is what makes us irresistible. This is what makes us different in the community. What we believe makes us identifiable. How we walk is what makes us irresistible to a culture that doesn't go to church, that doesn't think about Jesus. That's wondering like, wait, why should I give an hour of my Sunday? Why should I read this book? Why should I I worship this God? What we believe makes us identifiable. Oh, you're a Christian. How we walk makes us irresistible. And so the question I would love for you to ask, and that I'm going to ask this week of myself, is just simply this. Who needs you to be a ladder? Who needs you to be a ladder? Who needs you to pivot a little more from being a ladder climber to being... A ladder yourself. Who needs you to be a ladder? Is it at home? And man, I'm so busy at work that I'm not really tuning into to the, the hopes and the dreams uh, and the things that are in the hearts of my children. And like, oh man, I need to pivot more in that direction. Because man, just getting the assets, that's not what it means to arrive. Are you kidding me? That, I mean, that's great. Go for it. I hope you get that. But that's not, that's not arriving. Climbing a ladder? It's not arriving. No, being one. That's when you've arrived. That's how lives are measured. Or maybe it's at work. Like, is your ambition good news to the people you work with? Or is it bad news? Uh Uh-oh. That hurt my feelings. Sorry. Um, Like your advancement. Is it good news to the people you work with? Is it good news to your competitors? Because when you climb, you bring others with you? Or are we tended to be just like everybody else, which is so easy to do? Hey, when I rise, you're going to fall because I'm going to rise at your expense that might be a place to start thinking, who needs me to be a ladder? Who needs me to pivot a little more from climbing to being? Or maybe it's here at church. I mean, there's so many opportunities for like, that's one of the reasons the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the gathering of Jesus exists to be this for the community. That we're gonna be people that join our savior and getting low. All right, hey, we'll be the ones to get low. We'll go down all the way, and we will be the means by which you can climb, either meeting your needs or finding Jesus or uh, helping you get through a tough season or whatever. We'll be the ones. Climb right here. You can step right here. That's the church. That's one of the huge functions of the body of Christ is to be a ladder. And, and in this season, you guys have some great opportunities to do that. I mean, every Sunday, you have great opportunities. To do that. Volunteers that ran around in cars with, at, what was it, Chaos? Anybody in the room, was that Chaos? Sorry, amazing race. Somebody told me it was called chaos, but uh, I mean, it's because it's what it happens. You um, guess what you're doing? You're letting some high schoolers leverage your faith and your time and your wisdom and your experience and perhaps just your open arms to climb towards where God is calling them to go. How extraordinary. How extraordinary. That's how, that's how greatness is measured. So I don't know where it is, but I think that's a great question for all of us. Who needs you to be... A ladder. So that's the invitation of this whole series: is to join Jesus on the narrow road. We're going to close with a song, um, and I love the lyrics of it. It says that your word is a lamp unto my feet, your way is the only way for me. It's a narrow road that leads to life, and I want to be on it. So I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's something you will explore this week or this month. How can I take what I believe and translate it into how I walk? I'm going to walk the narrow road of Jesus. Let me pray for you and we'll go. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for um, how this church is already a ladder upon which so many people in the community are able to climb towards your will for their life, towards um, what you created them for. I pray that we would all be convicted of this enough to start asking that question, like who needs me to be a ladder and that we would do it. And uh, not out of obligation, but of joy because that's how greatness is measured. We would all want to be great. We would all be like hungry to be great. But we would just take our cue from you, Jesus, that greatness is found when we flip it upside down and we become the servant of all. We're not just climbing a ladder, we're being one. So help us do that and get this right because not only do we wanna be blessed and experience the life you've created us for, we want our community to look over here and go, what is that? That is awesome. That's better than what I got going on. That's a better way of living. Let that happen right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.